You are listening to The Book of Firsts, the podcast where we flip back through the pages of our guests' lives to uncover three of their most profound first-time experiences. A memorable first they've had, a first they want to have, and a first they wish they'd never had in the first place. I'm your host, Emma Tyndall, podcaster and producer, and this is The Book of Firsts. Today I am joined by fellow podcaster, presenter, writer and environmentalist Emma Slade Edmonton. Emma's deeply rooted dedication to the work she does is truly inspiring. A multifaceted powerhouse of ideas, she works tirelessly on spreading important messages surrounding race, belonging and the importance of sustainable fashion. I first remember hearing Emma speaking through her Fabric of Life TED Talk, where she spoke on the tragic passing of her mum and how going through her personal belongings and clothing was one of the hardest moments in the grieving process. Emma illuminated to me just how absurd it is that we throw away so much of what we wear, despite clothes holding many precious memories and moments which should be honoured and passed down through generations, that clothing really is the sheer fabric of our lives. Emma has since gone on to head up her own marketing agency, which is designed to spread positive impact and environmental good in the fashion industry, and has had her work featured in the likes of Grazia, Teen Vogue, and The Evening Standard. Emma is also co-host of the Mixed Up podcast with Nicole Okran, which takes a deep dive into exploring race and identity, sharing the lived experiences of those coming from a mixed heritage. The pair are also currently writing a book called The Half of It, based on topics discussed on their podcast, which is expected to be released in 2023. Emma is a force to be reckoned with and is revolutioning the fashion industry one stitch at a time. And I am so thrilled to have her on the podcast today. So Emma, welcome to the book of firsts. Thank you so much for having me. What an introduction. Um, It's so lovely. It's always awkward having to give your own bio. And when somebody else does a really, really good job of it, it's actually, yeah, it's really nice. Oh, I'm glad you liked it. I know whenever I go on other people's podcasts or guests and they're like, so tell us a bit about yourself. And I'm like, um, I've got a cat. Like, I don't, I don't, know. <laughs> I don't really know what you want to know. So I'm glad. Um, so we always start these podcasts off by diving into your memorable first, uh, experience first. Um, so Emma, can you tell us and our lovely listeners what your memorable first experience is? I think that my the thing that's front of mind for me at the moment is and obviously we are on a podcast now we're going to start talking about podcasting um (laughs) is starting my own podcast which you mentioned in the intro uh mixed up which is as you said a deep dive into race and identity but through the lens of the mixed race experience Mm -hmm. and so yeah it's a very personal topic for me and it yeah it it took off and obviously because it is a subject that's close to my heart it yeah it's very much a big first in my life and it's also enabled me to interview a a lot of people actually that I would say were probably on my bucket list almost Mm. to speak to not only touched me on a personal level but on a professional level I think it's it's massively expedited things that I would have wanted to achieve, conversations that I think are really meaningful, not just to me, but 
to, to many other people. And because people reach out almost immediately, it's very tangible change, tangible effect in real time. And that is mm. something that I haven't had a huge amount of experience with in, in my career, I suppose. So yeah, it's been quite life changing, I suppose, to to, yeah. to do this work. I think that is such a good point as well. And it's such a beautiful mode of communication, I think, with podcasting, because sometimes it does feel like you're speaking into a void. And then you have maybe those few people who will message and be like, I was really touched by this. or I was really affected by this. or I felt like this as well. And you realize that your words maybe do like have an impact on certain people. And especially when you're talking about the topics which you cover um, as well. Um, why Why was it important for you to make a show on on this particular subject and is it was it something that you were thinking about for a while so it's an interesting one I think it's probably something that I have known is a conversation that I myself would like to have but that doesn't seem to really exist in earnest or that didn't exist in earnest um so it was something for myself you know when they ask you like what would you have wanted for your younger self I definitely you know would have would have liked that to be a conversation that I could find and I also, well, I, I met my co-host, Nicole, and within like minutes of being together, we started to talk about being of mixed heritage, being mixed race, even though she grew up in Virginia, America, mm-hmm. and I grew up in the UK, uh, in Britain, and we have different you know, mixes, different heritages. We, yeah, we got onto this topic really, really quickly, and it became obvious that we sort of had this kind of kinship, Mm -hmm. uh, even though our experiences were, were, you know, on the face of it, very different. And yeah, the the podcast was kind of born in that moment. And we found out very quickly uh, when we started to release it, which happened to be during the summer, the summer George Floyd was murdered, that lots of other people felt like they needed this conversation too and they mm-hmm. were drawn to it. You know, people seemed to flock to join the conversation, to share things with us, to send us, you know, reams and reams of writing on their own life experiences and what they, you know, haven't had a chance to talk about. And so it was very clear to me that this was a conversation that needed to be had and that hadn't really been had anywhere that people could find it to date. It wasn't really present in in popular culture conversation. So there was no language. People were struggling to find, yeah, to find that language and to, you know, express themselves. And I think that especially at that time when race and the expression of um, feeling around race and racism and prejudice and, you know, oppression you know, the emotion was so tangible. It was so, Mm. it was fraught, you Mm. know, and people needed an outlet. They needed a safe space. And I think that it became very clear very quickly that the podcast was going to be one of those places. I remember listening to one of the very early episodes and you were both kind of sharing your own lived experiences and how I was shocked at how different they were, I guess, from from the UK to the US. But one story I found really um, moving was when you were you were saying that um, your brother was asked at school whether you were really his sister because you're from obviously a, a mixed heritage, but he's white. And mm-hmm. I I wondered, I, I kind of wanted to ask you about that and how those occurrences in your childhood shaped. 
I guess, where you felt that you belonged as a child. Yeah, I think I've, you know, never really had an issue with belonging. I knew that I belonged in my family, you know, I was very loved. I think it's more a case of your understanding as you grow of the way that you are perceived by the world and the very kind of tick boxing exercise and unnuanced and um, without layers understanding that many people have. I mean, me me and my brother had an experience very recently where I went to visit him in Guadeloupe where he was working and we obviously introduced ourselves as brother and sister and the person that we were talking to was very hung up on the idea of calling us step siblings and kept referring to us as step siblings, which Mm. was obviously really weird for us because we don't, you know, we don't use that language. It doesn't feature in our vernacular because we are brother and sister. Um, But I think it's just a really good example of how sometimes people can be quite obsessed with forcing their own narrative Mm. onto you. Um, And that's one of the biggest themes I think, that is apparent when it comes to the mixed race identity. I think something that we've heard many, many times from people is that people are quite au fait with deciding who they think you are as a mixed race person and communicating that to you. But very seldom do people ask you, you know, how do you prescribe your identity? Like, <laughs> who are you? Um, yeah. And that's really interesting. Yeah, that was another actual um, point that I found really interesting that you were talking about because for you you were like i i identify as both i think you said in in one of the the early episodes and um but you said but the world will never see me as a white woman but they will see me as a black woman and i found that really yeah. interesting as well because i'm like that's so true like you're you're made of those two things and yet the world sees you like this but how it doesn't really matter how you express yourself because that's how other people perceive you and yeah i mean the podcast itself i could you know chance about until the, the cows come home I think it's such a brilliant topic and I learned so much from it um but yeah I think that particular thing of living your life having to constantly um think about how others perceive you as opposed to how you want to identify yourself yeah exactly so it's it's called misidentification and it's basically where somebody yeah misidentifies you you know and and describes you to you as something that you don't recognize as your identity um and i think that probably people are quite are getting more used to understanding that when it comes to speaking in terms of gender but perhaps where mixed race people are concerned, people are not really quite as uh, knowledgeable and understanding mm. of that language and that how we can experience um, our lived identities. And I think um, we had a guest called Asia Jackson on who is Filipino, African-American mixed. And she she actually, she was the one that said, you know, this is the quote that always sticks in my mind. She said, you know what, girls? I am mixed and I'm black Mm. and that's what it is. You know, she was like, I'm affirmed in my identity. I'm both. And, you know, no one can tell me anything about that. That's just what it is. She said, I don't like to use mixed as a soul solo identifier because there's so many different mixes. There's so many different expressions of being of mixed heritage of mixed race but, you know, I will tell you that I am mixed and I'm black, you know. Mm. 
So, yeah, I think that there's still a lot of conversation and discussion to be had and work to be done to kind of help people understand that there's nothing duplicitous in that. It's genuinely how we get to sit in our identities because it's just the way it is. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you've had such incredible guests on as well, you know, Megan Jane Crabb, Anton Ferdinand, Candice Braithwaite. I love that episode. Um, What do you think, I mean, you just mentioned there as something that was being something that you've taken from it, but what do you think has been the most profound thing that you've learned from interviewing all these incredible people, but, or maybe like something that you've learned about yourself in the, in the mm. terms of doing the podcast? So that's a big question. I've learned so much. I feel like I'm learning constantly from this podcast. Um, I can't pick a favorite moment. They're all my babies. You know, you, you're, you, you must also love all of your episodes. Every episode is like, oh, that's my favorite episode. Yeah, I know. It's like, this is the best one yet, guys. And they're like, seriously, Emma, you said the like exact same thing last week. <laughs> you say that every time. Um, I recently, well, this season did an episode with a woman called Florence, who is Liberian, Ukrainian, and she has escaped two civil wars. She had family in Ukraine during the war. She's just taken, she's just managed to bring them, bring them to the UK. And she, yeah, she talked to us about being a two-time refugee. She talked to us about the dichotomy, the disconnect with being a black woman who has been a refugee who has escaped two civil wars and watching you know black africans or black ukrainians being pushed back from the trains you you know those scenes that we saw when they were trying to escape ukraine and they were kind of told you know you don't get first boarding you need to move back um and she talked to us about the disconnect in her identity in the sense of saying that For the first time ever in her life, she was experiencing it being safer for her to sit inside her black identity in the UK than it would be for anyone to think that she had anything to do with Russia, that she could speak Russian and that she had any connection there. Um, You know, if it's talking about the way that we think about refugees and displacement and people who don't look the way that people expect Mm -hmm. refugees or people escaping civil war to look and how we treat people differently based on their race when the situations are you know very very similar it's yeah it's complex and I'm learning all the time yeah for sure and I and I want to thank you as well for creating that space where listeners can learn because I certainly do I'm sure all your listeners learn something from each and every one of your episodes so like thank you for doing that diving into our next first pun intended well you actually gave me three didn't you for the first I can't remember them (laughs) so you said um three first experiences you want to have one is diving one yes. is uh, visiting Africa, and the other one is interviewing a dream guest on TV show. So, I mean, they're all brilliant. I guess we could do it in the way which is, which of those three do you want to do first? So, none of them you've done, but which of them do you want to tackle first? That's a tricky. That's a tricky one. I was actually just thinking, like, which is realistically going to happen first? Mm. 
and interviewing somebody because I back myself. So <laughs> like <laughs> interviewing a dream guest uh, on TV probably would be like the most realistic. Mm. Who would your dream guest on your TV show be? Oh, it's such a hard one. I'd really like to speak to Colin Kaepernick, actually. Um, mm. And obviously Obama's up there. Yeah, right. S- yeah. Sometime. <laughs> Someday. Just when he's free, you know. <laughs> yeah, Pop exactly. the diary. Yeah. <laughs> Obama, if you're listening, there's there's always a seat open for your hot seat open. Um uh, and obviously at the moment it would be cool to interview Meghan Markle. Mm. Um what did you think? Have you seen the documentary on Do you know what? I've not yet watched it. Um but the reason I've not watched it is because I find it quite difficult. Like I think, you know, I'd had a big I had a big week when it came out. I'd had a big like publishing meeting and I had had like a lot of intense work to do, which was like quite a lot of personal work to do the professional work. Um, As you can imagine, like with writing a book where you write about elements of your own life, there's a lot of digging and delving to do. And obviously this topic is so, obviously her documentary coming out is so intertwined into my work with Mixed Up and the book Mm -hmm. and so on that I just needed to have a, take a moment because there's so much rhetoric online that already immediately that was quite, um, there was stuff, there was stuff that was felt quite toxic, but you know, that it, there's obviously a lot of, um, the media is, has been very critical and mm-hmm. unkind and well, let's face it, racist towards Megan yeah. in the oh, UK. 100%. Um, shocking. I was having this conversation with my housemate and he said we were watching the documentary together and he said, oh yeah, my parents hate Meghan Markle. And I was like, why? Why yeah, do they Can they that? explain why? Yeah. Mm. And I guarantee you, you cannot. It's the, I think it that documentary taught me just how much the UK press, even if you don't read those magazines, even if you're not subscribed mm. to the Daily Star or whatever, like those preconceptions, they do, they swamp you. And it you're just kind of brainwashed. It it's, it's it's horrendous and I can only imagine how that would yeah I can I can completely understand where you're coming from in that you know you wouldn't like maybe not re- like ready to see that I think also you know I almost didn't know too much so in doing the the podcast and in writing the book you know we've done a lot of research and one of the things that is um like a prominent I don't know if you'll be aware but a prominent kind of racial um stereotype of the mixed woman is uh, called the tragic mulatto um and this stereotype is very much wrapped up in like a sexualization a forbidden like sexual attraction a person who a figure who is really only there to be kind of abused by everybody um and for me, I see so much of the kind of vitriol and like poison of that character um, portrayal in what the press do to Megan, mm. in what figures like Piers Morgan who attack her do and where it feels like it's coming from. Like there's this odd sexual nature to it and like a very... Mm 
poisonous mission almost to like tear her down and depict her as like devious and just you know manipulative manipulation is very much Mm. one of the traits that's associated with this character of the tragic mulatto um and so for me I think that there's just so much more to it because of what I know from my research and to see it playing out in 2023 for me there's so much more to it and I think until I'm ready to articulate that stuff I can't engage with it on the level that perhaps the conversation exists without that knowledge Mm -hmm. um because I find it quite stressful and upsetting of course yeah I completely understand that and I mean, she would be a brilliant guest to have on, I guess, for that reason. Um, the thing that baffles me about it is how people, they cuss her for her privilege. But mm-hmm. it's like, she she wasn't born into that privilege. Like so many people are who you're not accusing of being privileged. Like she earned that. You know, she's, mm. she's a self-made, successful woman who does charity work. Like, I don't understand. I don't understand it. And... Yeah, it's it's infuriating to be honest. Yeah, at this point, it's becoming weird almost, yeah. which is why yeah. you know, think thinking about that those like racial stereotypes that are so so old. Like for me, it makes sense that on some unconscious level, that stuff is playing out. I'm glad that it's being raised on a more kind of accessible level. I think for more people to be able to understand it and that's what stuff like a documentary and obviously your podcast is doing like I don't even I don't even know what it takes more and more education and mainstream education you know like yeah. I think we you know many of us are you know aware now that there's just so much that wasn't taught so yeah and how so I many mean, kids just make sorry to interrupt you I was just thinking when you said that how many no, kids not at all. just make um and they don't understand that what they're doing is could be offensive or hurtful or racist. Uh, I remember that episode mm. you did about the hair. And I remember, I think when I was younger, someone asked to touch somebody's afro once and it was just like a thing. It was like they wanted to do it. And they're only looking back mm. on that now and you're like, oh my gosh, like I must have been made them feel so uncomfortable. And But at the time when yeah. you're a kid, I wonder if that's changing now. I definitely yeah. think it is because, you know, even just experiences with, my friends and their kids and how like I see them do that parenting work you know out loud and in public and you know whether it's telling a child like you know we've spoken about this remember that you know it's not you know that's it's not appropriate to do that and how would you feel if you know somebody did that to you all of these things that like I think it's much more vocal now which I think is a good thing you know for For people to see I'm just popping a quick note in here as I'm currently sat in the cozy and comfortable home of this season's sponsors first and last coffee This glorious cafe was, ironically, and I'm not just saying this because it's on brand with the podcast, but it was the first coffee shop I ever set foot in when I moved to Toronto. And my God, did it set the bar high. 
The coffee honestly tastes amazing. The 60s vintage style interior is super quirky and fun and it takes every ounce of self-control I possess not to pick up one of their delicious breakfast sandwiches every morning on my way to work. If you're around the Annex neighbourhood, then you absolutely need to check them out. Pop in for a coffee, browse the vintage clothes rail, or soak up the sun like I'm doing right now in their little courtyard area. Huge thank you to First and Last again for sponsoring the show. Speaking of, let's get back to it. Let's move on to the final first, which is the first you wish you'd never had. Um, I wanted to thank you for raising this one because I understand like just how painful it must be to talk about it and we can talk about it in as much or as as little detail as you want but I know it's going to resonate with a lot of listeners and actually we had a guest on a few weeks ago who spoke about um his dad and in, in the same vein had lost his father and um so the first that you wish you'd never had was losing your mom and mm. um that happened when you were 28 right but it was yeah it had been sort of like a she she was terminally ill for about five years so you were kind of dealing with that grief I guess from your early 20s which must have had such a profound impact on your life you know those are really formative years um mm. so what what sort of effect did did that have on you for you know dealing with that for so for so long mm. it's a hard question to answer um I wanted to ask you actually before we get into it. Just, just lots of people give you this first as the one that they didn't um, want to touch. You get this quite a lot. I get the. I we've had it once, only once actually before. Okay, um, interesting. But it is quite like. I mean, the first you wish you'd never had is obviously something that's happened in your life which you wish you'd never experienced, right? So a lot of them are around loss or grief. Um, or an event that happened that you wish wish hadn't, but yeah, I think that I think losing a parent, mm. I, I can't imagine that kind of grief. So, yeah, I think it's yeah, it's a difficult one because people don't talk about grief enough. So, mm. even when you're asked to talk about it, I feel like you know, much like with the podcast where we talk about you know being mixed race, and there isn't that much language so we kind of have to create the language and figure out how to talk about it I think it's really similar with grief I think that we are so bad as a society in talking about it and accessing our emotions and our feelings even explaining to people like if you ask me like how did you get through it I'm like I don't know (laughs) I don't know I think people have this misconception that time has a bearing on it in a way where it's like the more time that passes like the better it gets and I don't know that that's true for most people I remember talking to my friend really early on who lost her dad also from cancer around about similar time so we definitely were kind of rocks for each other in that I always say I feel like she was my guardian angel and she was sent to me at that time because I don't know how I would have got through that period without her because she just kind of appeared. I started a job and I happened to be sitting next to her and for the first week we didn't talk to each other and then suddenly we started talking to each other and found out like almost immediately that both of our parents were terminally ill and Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was literally like being sent somebody to help me through that period. And I feel like 
like she felt similar um because it's a very unique experience so unless you have been through it or are going through it it's really hard to understand or explain you know that feeling that you mentioned which is kind of that you're already grieving before somebody is gone so there's a lot of guilt wrapped up in that and a lot of not knowing how to talk to people other people about it because there's nothing you can really say is happening you know totally yeah yeah totally um other than well in my case in our family like you kind of spring into this in regards to like picking people up or dropping people off or going to do the shopping one of you needs to be at the hospital at all times you have to be on rotation just something that becomes second nature until you don't do it anymore and that's the Mm. day that like nobody wants to see but at the same time you are you, you you are waiting for that day in some yeah some ways so yeah it's a very grueling experience that becomes almost mundane at the same time mm-hmm. um so yeah I don't know how other people get through it I can only kind of like speak to my own experience but I think you have to kind of compartmentalize and shut some of it out during the period of dealing with terminal illness. And then of course there's a fallout, you know, at some point. Yeah. Probably for for most people after their loved one has passed. Um, Yeah. And I think that's when all the realizations and the, the deeply rooted, I guess, emotion comes out. And I, I think you mentioned it in your, podcast uh sorry your ted talk um and you said um realizing mortality will reduce anyone to a child but it'll also make you realize your humanity and i think that's such a beautifully you know sad but kind of true statement in that mm-hmm. grief at its core will reduce anyone to those innate childlike feelings emotions um and realizing that that is okay and that is totally warranted in that moment to feel that way yeah I forgot I wrote and said that (laughs) (laughs) um so when you say it just quoting you (laughs) oh that was profound (laughs) god I'm good (laughs) I was like oh bloody hell that's profound um (laughs) Sorry, I've I've sworn. Um, yeah, I oh my gosh, you know, I did that um, TED talk, and I never I never shared it on my social media. I mm. think, um, yeah, I will, I will, I I I hope to share it next year. I say this every year. It's really weird because of the whole COVID situation. Because we lost, I feel like we lost years, or like we lost yeah. time. But I was struggling with sharing things that weren't immediately relevant to the kind of the catastrophic yeah. moment is does it warrant you know sharing this and then of course obviously there was that moment after George Floyd was murdered yeah. and then that and it was kind of we we kind of ran from yeah catastrophic cultural 
I guess because everyone was so much more online, like mm. things were so much more intense and intensified. But yeah, I know what you mean that it maybe didn't have like a a place for you to put it out and feel like it was the right time to do that. Um, yeah but then again you know that could also be an excuse because if this this is really like common with grief I think I also didn't want to share it anymore mm-hmm. like I was I, I worked up to that moment of sharing it with those people in that room on that stage being very honest and very vulnerable you were so vulnerable and, yeah and then all of a sudden it was too too much vulnerability I was like no I think somewhere in me I was like I actually just don't want to share this now um and I couldn't it's so personal you know because it was about my mom I and everyone at the time judgment was kind of par for the course it was like you know your daily greens and in fact if you didn't receive some sort of harsh critique it's kind of like a, a real weird day during that time. Um, I think if you're putting something out there anyway. Yeah. Uh, and I think I just wasn't ready. I wasn't, I wasn't okay for that to happen to that particular piece of work because mm. it was about my mom and I just wasn't, I wasn't okay for that. Yeah. So I think I just didn't share it, <laughs> which oh. I think in hindsight is a shame because, um, it was a, I think it was a very good message and, um, well, it is still a very good message. And I think, you know, it was definitely. so well received in the room at the time. And finding a common ground. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd never really thought about clothes as an heirloom, I guess, or, or something to, something that should be passed down. I'm like, why don't I have, I mean, to be fair, I, I wear my grandpa's jumper all the time and I have my other grandpa's cardigan there and like, go. I just, you know, sometimes people compliment me on it. And I'm like, oh, thanks. It's my, it was my Woolworths. And it makes me feel so good. Mm. And I'm like, why is this not something that I've not even spoken about? It doesn't, need to, it doesn't need to be raised in that sense of like, we should all be wearing what our grandparents wore. But it's mm. just such a lovely thing to do and to have. Um, yeah. Do you, is there a particular garment of your mum's that is like a staple for you? Yeah, I've got like quite a lot of things and there's so many things that I've kind of worn in real like moments in my life. I think I said in the talk about like how I wore this incredible dress that she had, like which it was corseted and it had boning and it was like incredibly like chic thing for, I think I would have been like 14 or 15, mm. you know, for a for a teenager to be wearing on stage in like a school performance. Um, But I do, I still to this day, like remember how wonderful it made me feel, how grown up, how elegant, how beautiful. And that's funny for a teenager because like, you know, oftentimes we feel really awkward. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Um, especially on a stage in front of people. Um. But yeah, I have like so many, many things of of my mum's and my grand's and I just, yeah, I think that I remember almost like moments of my life through those garments. So it's, yeah, I think it's something that we have to reconnect with the importance of. I love that. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that as well. And I hope that you do share the talk because... It had an impact on me, and I know it will have an impact on many people. So, so do I. You should, you should give, you should give me a nudge. And 
<laughs> when this episode comes out, it'll be your like shout call to action to um to share it afterwards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so before we run out of time, I want to move on to quick five firsts. So this is the part of the show where I read out to you a statement. You have to say the first thing that comes into your head. I'm nervous. It'll be fine. It'll be so fine. Am I ready? Um, Okay, so the first one is a time you felt blood-boiling anger. Um, I think that was probably what we're talking about, like during the George Floyd um, aftermath of his murder and everybody online, like, pushing people to engage with this, but also to talk about it, and then lots of people talking about it just because they were being told that they had to talk about it people constantly contacting me and probably just about every other black person that I know to ask them like questions or to tell them that they're sorry that they haven't engaged with this issue previously angering on so many levels like you know not least the initial reason we were all furious yeah, and upset and grieving and then to have this moment on top of that where it felt like there was even more pressure mm. um, on us. And by us, I mean Black people, mm. particularly those in the public sphere. Um, it's a funny one, you know, because it's like, I do believe we were all grieving in unison in some way. And to not be able to do that in a private way, to be forced to kind of publicly share how that's affecting you. I will I will be honest and say I often I think confuse anger with like sadness mm-hmm. or frustration. Because sometimes it takes me a while to realise that what I'm actually feeling is that I'm absolutely like red raging furious yeah. I'm exactly the same because I cry at everything right so I cry when I'm happy I cry when I'm sad and I cry when I'm angry so obviously the happy one is fine but when it's sad or angry I'm like I don't know which one I am right now like yeah like, what's just... happening <laughs> um but no that is such such a good one to raise on so many levels firstly I can't imagine how infuriating it must be especially as someone in the public sphere who like you you are totally entitled to feel however certain way you want to feel but in that moment had you not said anything there would have been probably thousands of people on your instagram page judging you for not saying something and i think that that is just the expectation that was set that everyone suddenly had to have this mm. these answers um it's difficult to explain because it wasn't just that I mean I would have I had something to say and I would have said something anyway it's mm. just the microscopic like situation and also the way that like I think in modern day like we're dictated to as to how we need to say things you cannot get the nuance required the depth required the richness of understanding or communication in like the words you're you have on Twitter and the like yeah. small squares that we have, the slides 
in stories on Instagram, it doesn't work. For me, it was a blessing that we had started the podcast around that time because I was able to say, if you want to know what I think, if you would like to learn, please head over to the podcast. That is where you will find me talking about this. Yeah. You know, that is where you'll find it. Exactly. In the same way that it's not a quick fix. It's not a quick answer either. Yeah, I totally yeah get that. settled in buckle in for an hour yeah. Because... Buckle up. <laughs> yeah um okay our final our final one is a time you cried happy tears mm. um I think I cry happy tears all the time when I'm laughing with my friends mm. and that's not a good answer but no, it it's is. not very profound, but actually I think my friends make fun of me because even if I'm recounting something that's like actually difficult or challenging, like I don't know why, like, but nowadays I always have this thing where like I'll suddenly start laughing in the middle of it and then I'll start crying but and I'm crying and laughing at the same time. <laughs> and they all just start laughing as well. Oh, that you know what that reminds me of I have this um I have this book on my nightstand and it's called one line a day and so every page it's like a different year but it's just got a little box where you write one line from that day and in 2021 February so peak lockdown um I wrote something like I I really miss laughing and crying with my friends but like laugh crying you know when you like like you're just laughing so hard you cry because it had been you don't get that shit over zoom I'm not being funny like you don't don't. it's very very hard to make somebody I I could count on one hand the number of times I've laugh cried over FaceTime um and it's that agreed in those moments I think you realize just how incredible real life connection is and Mm. friendship in yeah it's just beautiful I love it yeah it is beautiful (laughs) oh Emma thank you so much for taking time to come on the podcast sorry it's gone on a bit longer than planned um no that's okay it's 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 my fault because I didn't come prepared to be honest with my (laughs) mic no no you're good but um yeah thank you so much for coming on and for chatting such brilliant wisdom as always um if people want to listen to your podcast or find the book where can they find you do the spiel (laughs) so mixed up is available on apple spotify all of the like usual like you can find it pretty much everywhere i think um and the book is available to pre-order on amazon waterstones um all your major kind of book places to buy books so yeah get pre-ordering perfect amazing well yeah thank you again and um I'm looking forward to seeing what 2023 brings you. Thank you for having me.